Good now? Hey, hey. That's the first technical issue we've had. That's exciting. Uh, Good morning. Happy Easter. Uh, My name is John. I am so glad that all of you are here today. And I'm glad that all of you are here, however it is that you're joining us. Uh, So one of the lessons that we learned over the last year is that there's more than one way uh, to gather for church. And so uh, I am thrilled that all of you are actually here. This is the first time that we've had like people in a service since uh, uh, COVID began, so that's super exciting. Uh, But we also have people that are watching at home and online right now, so that's super exciting. Uh, We have other folks that will be watching via YouTube or podcasts later on in the week, and so however it is that you are joining us, I am just so, 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 so glad uh, that you are here. Uh, So here's the question. Here's what we want to talk about today. Uh, Am I cutting it or not, Paul? Let me switch. I'm on Julie. Julie had a longer cord, so I'm picking Julie. <laughs> uh, here's my question, and it's, there's going to be some slides on the screen. I don't expect any of you to be able to read them uh, because the sun is glaring off them, but I'm guessing that all of you will gladly take the sun uh, with a little bit of glare. Uh, but I'm still going to look at them because otherwise I don't know what to say. So when you see me looking here, don't feel bad that you don't know what's on there. But you can see it on the online if you decide to watch it later. Uh, so here's our question. What is Easter all about? Uh, I think one of the kind of crazy phenomenons is that Easter is one of those days when people who maybe would never never pay attention to church, uh, would never really pay attention to religion, all of a sudden, you know, church buildings that are usually, you know, even you know before COVID fairly empty on Easter, they're kind of full. Uh, parking lots that are usually pretty empty in front of churches on Easter will be pretty full. And lots of people have this ability to pay attention to this whole Easter thing. And what is Easter all about? Uh, and many people would say that Easter is all about belief. Uh, that Easter is a time when people will gather in buildings or in parks or living rooms, however they're gathering. And it's a group of people who either believe a certain set of things, uh, or maybe it's uh, people who are trying to be convinced to believe a certain group of things, uh, or maybe it's they used to believe and maybe they're trying to believe again. Uh, Whatever the case, it's a group of people who are together, and that's what we're really talking about. It's like, do you believe these things? And so Easter can feel a little bit like a a belief test. Uh, And so Here's uh, some different beliefs that are from one of the kind of famous creeds. Uh, they'll think, all right, do I believe in God? Yes? No? Maybe? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I don't know. Uh, do I believe that God is the creator of the earth? Uh, do I believe that, you know, somehow, however, you know, whatever that, you know, works, that somehow all of this is the result of a creation? You know, do I believe in that? Yes? No? Maybe, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, do I believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do I believe that there was a real guy named Jesus? Do I believe that historically that there really was a guy 2,000 years ago who had sandals and, you know, blue beauty sash, you know, robe, you know, you know walked, you know, the hair blowing? You know? Do I really believe that there was that guy that existed 2,000 years ago? Yes, no, maybe. Uh, do I believe that he was born of a virgin? Hmm. Uh, yes, no. I, I used to, 
Uh, I, I know, you know my mom told me that I should, but you know, maybe I'm not so sure anymore. Uh, do you believe that he was crucified and that he was buried, that there was a real guy and that he was really killed on a cross and he's put on the cross? And then especially on Easter, we say, do we believe that he actually rose from the dead? And I'm guessing that all of you would have different answers to, that, to those questions. And that is, by the way, really, really great. Uh, and for those of you especially who would look at any of those or some of those and say, yeah, I, I'm in the maybe camp. Uh, I'm in the like, I, I, I want to believe, but like, I just, I don't, there's like this intellectual scientific hurdle I just can't get over. I just, I, I have some questions. I have some doubts. Uh, I am so glad that you are here. Uh, I have just a huge heart uh, because I'm someone who has a lot of questions uh, and a lot of doubts when it comes to this. And I think that faith is something that isn't, it's not just like a blind faith. It's not just like, oh, I believe just because I believe, you know, or I believe because my mom told me that I should believe, or I believe because I went to some church someday and like that guy told me I should believe, or that woman told me I should believe, and so therefore I believe. I think faith is something that should be investigated. Faith is something that we should look at. Faith is something that we should ask really intelligent questions, and we should decide that whether we believe or not believe, not just based off of a blind faith idea, but we should decide that we believe after we have looked at it, after we have researched it, and if we can say, you know, I think there's something historical to this, uh, and I encourage you to do all of that. But here's what I want to talk about today. is That's all belief. Is that what faith is? Is that what Easter is all about? Uh, is Easter about the idea of us just deciding whether we do or whether we don't actually believe in these things? And what I believe is that Easter is actually about way, way more. Uh, and here's why I think that. Uh, and so 2,000 years ago, uh, what I think is really cool about the Easter story is after Jesus rose from the dead, believe it or not, whether Jesus rose from the dead, what happened in the world in the days, in the weeks, in the months, and in the decades, and even the centuries after Jesus rose from the dead is what I think is absolutely amazing. Because what history tells us, not Christian history, but just history history, is that the Christian movement blew up on the scene in the first, second, and first and second and third century. Uh, that very quickly, it went from zero Christians. There had never been anyone who had ever heard of this guy, Jesus. No one was calling themselves a Christian. No one would call themselves a follower of Jesus. To in a very, very short amount of time, there are Christians literally everywhere, all over the Roman Empire. Uh, so much so that in 54 AD, uh, some of you might remember this from history class, in 54 AD, there was a fire in the city of Rome, uh, and most people now believe that Nero, who was the emperor, set that fire because uh, he had some building projects, he had some stuff he wanted to do. But he didn't want people to know that he had just burned down his own city, so he needed a, a scapegoat. He needed to blame it on somebody, and he blamed it on Christians. And why that's significant for us, because that means in 54 AD, just 20 years after Jesus was crucified on the cross, there are now enough Christians in the city of Rome that you could blame a, an event on them, and the rest of the people in Rome would be like, oh yeah, the Christians, I've heard of that group. The, the, they're enough known just 20 years after the crucifixion. And it had just blown up all over the place. And what had made it blow up was not just that these 
people who were showing up in Rome and all these other cities around the Roman Empire believed different things. It was that that they actually lived different things. Uh, I want to look at a conversation uh, in the, the Bible, which is a collection of different books. Uh, there's a book right after uh, uh, what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They tell us about Jesus. Right after that is a book called Acts. And Acts tells us what happened when the church was expanding and blowing up in the first century. And there's a conversation uh, that's recorded in Acts 17. And it's this uh, a guy named Paul had just so shown up in a city called Thessalonica. And Thessalonica is way up in northern Greece. It's a thousand miles from Jerusalem. So a thousand miles from the whole place where Jesus lived his whole life. A thousand miles from where, like, you would think Christianity would have started and ended. A thousand miles away, there is now Christians in this city. And they're having a conversation about these Christians. And here's uh, what they say about them. They say that these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. They, here's what we've noticed. There's these Christians popping up in our little city here of Thessalonica. And here's what they're doing. They are turning the world upside down. Uh, here's what I mean. Uh, here's what the writer means by upside down. Here's some other words maybe you'd understand more. That uh, upside down, revolution. It, these people, these Christians that are here, they are causing a revolution in our city. Uh, that they are trying to live countercultural. That the whole Roman Empire, everyone knows that here's how you live. Here's how you go about business. Here's how you treat people. Here's how you handle money. But they are going against the grain. They're going to be countercultural. Uh, they are transformational. Uh, they are trying to transform the way that we do everything. And they are trying to cause a movement to begin. And that's a big deal. Because what all of us know is that having a real revolution, having something actually transform, Having something actually become a totally different than what it is now is not an easy thing. Uh, I think back to uh, about a year ago at this time, and COVID had just began. And uh, some of you might know, uh, we have an initiative called Serve Albany. And Serve Albany works to try to link, places, uh, link people with places where they can volunteer in the city of Albany. And beginning of COVID, it was... It, it felt like a revolution. It felt like a movement. Like our, our amount of people that were on our Serve Albany network almost doubled in a month. It felt like everybody and their sister was like, we need to volunteer. We need to get involved. We need to get kids uh, food. We need to do whatever we can to be able to help. Uh, you would get on Facebook, and Facebook is normally like a place for people to yell at each other and get mean. And everyone was posting like, does anyone need food? I can help you. You know, does anyone know any place where I can volunteer? It felt like that the world was changing, and all of a sudden, like, there wasn't going to be any more selfishness anymore. People were just going to be serving and helping each other. Then a couple months went by, and people kind of went back to the way in which they were living before. And people still, you know, care, you know, about volunteering. But just that, that, that movement, that rise of, like, man, everyone is going to be volunteering kind of faded away. Uh, or for that matter, I remember uh, this past summer standing, like, right here and being a part of a, a couple different Black Lives Matter marches. And it just... I don't, if you were part of any of those, or just, you know, part of the, you know, Facebook, I mean, it just felt like, oh, like, 
things are actually changing. I mean, look how many people are so involved and so many people are posting and people are recognizing that not only Black Lives Matter, but noticing about the issues of like white privilege. And it feels like we're actually on the verge of a change here. And now it's a couple months later and kind of like the words that are written over there on Lark Street. It, it's just it's faded a little bit because a movement a real revolution is hard to keep like white hot like that. Uh, and you don't even need those big examples, do you? I, I mean, I, how many of you have ever like made a New Year's resolution before? Uh, you, you're so sure of it, right? Like this is going to be the year, you know, I'm going to do the diet. I, I'm going to start working out. Uh, or, or maybe it wasn't even like a New Year's resolution. It was just a commitment you made at the end of a bad night. And you're like, okay, I... I'm never doing that again. <laughs> uh, I, and, and you were so resolute. Like you were so sure that what you were deciding was going to just become the new normal. And then a couple weeks went by and, you know, that, that treadmill that you bought is, you know, holding up your laundry really well. And uh, it, it, it gym membership and, you know, that diet book, you know, it, it just it just fades because real transformation is really, really hard to do. But what was amazing 2,000 years ago is that these Christians, it wasn't just like a flash in the pan, like all of a sudden, like Christians like believe and then they're living a difference. It was that they kept it up for years, for decades, for centuries. They actually saw real and lasting change in the world. Uh, because to see real change happen, it takes more than just belief. Uh, I growing up in church uh, my whole life, and uh, there was one guy I remember at a church in Florida, none of you guys know him, his name was Richard, and Richard was at, at our church, he, he was there I think just about every single Sunday, but Richard, I mean, all, all love to everybody, Richard was I think the meanest person I've ever met in my life. Uh, at one point, uh, when I was a, a sophomore in high school, uh, we had a gym in our church, and I was running through the gym. It's a gym. I'm running. I'm in middle school. I'm running through the gym, and this 40-year-old guy cornered me and screamed at me in, in the face. Uh, he was kind of a jerk to his wife. He was a jerk to his kids. I don't think his neighbors liked him. He just was not the kind of person that you would enjoy being around. Maybe you know somebody like that. But let me tell you. Richard was in church every single Sunday. He could mark, I believe, on every single one of those because, baby, he believed intellectually in every single one of those. It's just that those beliefs had never actually changed his life. Maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe that's what turned you off from church at one point in your life is that you knew a Christian and they just didn't act like you assumed someone who's following Jesus would act. But 2,000 years ago, that was not the case. These Christians who were following Jesus were actually committed to try to change the world. Uh, in the fourth century, uh, so this is 400 years now after, the thing's been growing and there's more and more Christians all over the place. So much so that the emperor of Rome at that time, a guy named Julian, saw that there's so many Christians that are around that this is actually a problem because more people now are worshiping Jesus then are worshiping the, the Roman gods or the Greek gods. More people are worshiping Jesus than worshiping me. And so Emperor Julian thought, like, hey, we need to, like, find a way to, like, get, like, distract people from uh, 
worshiping this Jesus. Uh, and here's why he said that so many people were following uh, Jesus. Oh, sorry. I've, I've, uh, skip that part and go to the, the Julian part, Pam. Skip that slide. Maybe. Oh, yeah, go back to. There you go. Doop. One more. Ha ha, there we go. All right, so here's what he said. He said, Christianity has been specifically advanced. This is what, in his idea, had pushed Christianity forward. Uh, it wasn't just belief. Here's what he said. So Christianity has been specifically advanced. Go to the next one. Advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers. Here's what's moving this thing forward is that these Christians are just so darn loving and they're not just loving to like people that they know that they're loving to strangers. Uh, go to the next one. It says, and through their care for the burial of the dead. Uh, again, what, what history tells us is that in the second and the third century, there was some pretty severe plagues that went through the Roman Empire and I mean, whole cities. I mean, people just you know, literally kind of dying in the streets. And so what most people did, the, the cultural norm, was to get out of those cities as fast as possible, and they would literally leave people to die by themselves. But while everyone else was leaving the cities, there was Christians who were going into the cities and were helping people as they could die with, with dignity. Think Mother Teresa. Uh, and then even after they would die, they would give them the, the, the respect of a proper burial. Uh, he goes on, he says, it is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar. Uh, there's, there's, it's kind of like a dumb thing. Like, no Jews are going around begging because their needs have already been taken care of by these crazy Christians. Uh, and then finally, he says, and that the godless Galileans, which is another name that we call Christians, care not only for their own poor, but ours as well. Uh, Emperor Julian saw that what is making this Christian movement spread so much, and it's still alive after 400 years, is that these Christians are just so committed to this sacrificial, loving act. And where did that come from? Uh, there's a, you can go back now to where I forgot before, Pam, sorry. Uh, there's a, a famous creed, uh, if you grew up in church, uh, about the idea of belief. Uh, you might have grown up in a church where they have, uh, we have a, a group of core beliefs that are very important to us as a church. Uh, you might have grown up in a church, uh, if you grew up Methodist, uh, Catholic, uh, Lutheran, or maybe you recited a, a creed, kind of a, a set of beliefs every single week of, here's what we believe, here's what's so important. And maybe the most uh, well-known of those is what's called the Apostles' Creed. Uh, and then here is uh, the Apostles' Creed. You might have heard this uh, in your life. Uh, that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, and then he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Now, here's what I want you to see, and you probably can't see on the screens here. But there's people who wrote this thousands of years ago, way smarter than me for sure. But they left out a super important gap in there. Because they skipped from Jesus was born of a virgin— to he died on the cross. 
And there's something very significant that happened in between those two things, between when Jesus was born and when he died. And what happened between those two in that space is that Jesus lived his life. And in particular, he had a three-year ministry. And in that three-year ministry, Jesus taught and he acted in a way that people had never seen before. And Jesus taught in such extreme, radical ways. Uh, Jesus once gave a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount and a preview alert slash commercial. Uh, Next week, we're going to start a series going through the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I think it's one of the clearest teachings on here's how Jesus actually expected us to live. And it's, it's wonderful, but it's so radical. It's so countercultural. It's so not the way that definitely the world worked 2,000 years ago. And unfortunately, it's still not the way that the rest of our world still works today. Jesus said things like, if you have a disagreement with someone, if you have someone, you know, and like they're in your Facebook feed and you're Republican and they're Democrat uh, or you're Democrat and they're Republican, that your instance shouldn't be just like, well, I'm, I'm going to cancel them. I'm not going to look at them anymore. You know, I'm, I'm not going to defriend them. I'm going to you know, talk junk about them behind their back. Uh, if you have someone in your family and they're kind of like that member of the family and, you know, like, you know, it, you guys all leave the family gathering. You like talk, like, can you believe what they did? You know, if you have someone that you have a disagreement about, if you have someone that you don't get along with for whatever reason, that instead of treating them badly, instead of talking about them behind their back, that you are supposed to actually go to them face-to-face and work out the problem and really don't do anything. Jesus says, don't even go to church again until you've worked out that problem. Uh, Jesus talked in the Sermon on the Mount about money. And Jesus talked about this way of generosity that is just so, so extreme. Uh, Jesus said, that when you look at the stuff that you should buy, the stuff you should spend your money on, you shouldn't ever think, I- I'm going to spend most of my money on things that will, will rust, that will decay, that, you know, there's going to be a new model in a few years. I'll probably just throw that one in a drawer. I'm not even going to look at it anymore. That instead, you should leverage as much of your money as possible for the benefit of others. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about worry and anxiety. And maybe some of you suffer with worry and anxiety. And Jesus' answer for how you can live a life without worry and anxiety was to have ruthless trust that he is in charge of whatever else is going on. And most people, when they heard those teachings of Jesus and other teachings of Jesus, they thought, ah, oh, that, that, that's nice. You know, that, that, that's, that would be a good way to live, I guess. Uh, maybe someday I'll apply some of those things to my life. But that's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said, and he was very, very clear, is that I want you to actually do these things uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, if you actually do these things, then you will have life. Uh, The last words that Jesus ever said uh, on earth, Jesus died, he was resurrected, he hung out for about a month or so, which is kind of cool. The Apostle Paul says that 500 people saw him while he was alive and resurrected, and then he went back up into heaven, and the last things he said to his disciples was he said, I want you to go out, I want you to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. I want you to actually do these things. And people, when they heard Jesus say that, thought, I don't know, maybe. It would be a nice thing, you know, there's some good teachings here. 
But then after Jesus rose from the dead, there was this movement, this countercultural experience that lasted not just a week, not just a year, not just a decade, but is still going on today where people have actually tried to live out the words of Jesus, and it absolutely changes the world. Uh, here's a couple uh, last things I want us to know about this. Uh, the first is what they believed back then, uh, is that they believed that this was not just like a good movement. They, they believed this was a supernatural movement. Uh, this wasn't just about a bunch of people hunkering down and saying like, okay, we're all going to try to do really good things. If we do good things, and that's going to make a difference in the world. They believed because they believed Jesus rose from the dead, that there was things that could happen that were more than just human effort. That there was a possibility that things could happen in our world that were way beyond just like our own effort and elbow grease. That they believed that what could really fix a marriage, what could really fix a city, what could really fix racial injustice was supernatural power involved. Uh, and that might be a hard kind of pill for some of us to swallow, and I totally get that. You know, research, ask questions, doubt for sure. But they, 2,000 years ago, when it came to miracles, when it came to praying that real crazy things could happen, they believed, and it helped them change the world. Uh, second thing that they believed is they believed in the idea of eternal life. And what I mean by eternal life is uh, they believe that when you die, you're going to get to go to heaven, and that Jesus made a way for that. Absolutely. But more than that, they believed in this idea that the way in which Jesus called us to live is actually the best way to live. Uh, Jesus once said this in uh, John chapter 10. He said, I, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. Jesus talked a ton about eternal life, talked a ton about the kingdom of God. And he, he never talked about it as like it was like someday— Got it. Someday, somewhere, he talked about that eternal life was something that could happen right here, right now. These early Christians, they weren't like, okay, I'm going to do these things, and it's hard, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my money away, and it's difficult, and I'd rather buy a speedboat, but I'm going to give money away. You know, I'm going to forgive this person, even though I'd rather hold a grudge against them, but, but it's okay, because someday I'm going to get to go to heaven. They believed that giving your money away, forgiving people, loving people dramatically, going into cities and helping to bury people, serving incredibly sacrificial. They believed it was actually the best way to live because Jesus told them that it was. Uh, and then lastly, uh, they believed that this was like a 100% type deal. Uh, this was not like, okay, we're going to like cherry pick some of the things that Jesus did, and we're going to do the things that kind of work out best for us. They looked at the words of Jesus and didn't do it perfect all the time for sure, but they had this thought that we are going to actually try to do 100% of this. Uh, and here's why. Uh, because uh, back to uh, Acts 17, it says those who have turned the world upside down have come, have come here too. And here's what they're doing. They are acting contrary to the, to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king. Uh, what's true of every single one of us is we all have kings uh, or queens in our lives. Uh, we have people that we listen to uh, almost absolutely. Uh, maybe it's your partner. Uh, maybe it's your boss. 
Uh, maybe it's someone that you, you really love and respect so much, and that's the reason you listen to them. Uh, maybe it's someone that you fear the consequences. Uh, maybe it's someone that you just learn to trust. Uh, you have people that you listen to, and you just believe that whatever they say, I'm going to do. Uh, and that day, supreme was Caesar. I mean, you're going to do whatever Caesar tells you to do, because if you don't do what Caesar's going to do, uh, then he might have you crucified. But now all of a sudden, there's this group of people that believe that there is actually a higher Caesar. There's a higher king. There's a higher leader in this world than Caesar. And I am going to do whatever he says. And this is so big and so extreme. Uh, and I want to punctuate that. Uh, we're going to take uh, communion together if you decide that you want to do that. Uh, in, your, in your cups, there's some uh, communion, uh, little self-serve things in there. And communion is something that we do every week as a way to remember uh, that Jesus, we believe, died on the cross. And there's a couple really important things that we look at when we look at the cross. And uh, we talk about a lot of them, but we're going to look at two of them uh, just real quick about what, how big it meant that Jesus died on the cross. Uh, this is found uh, in uh, um, uh, John. Uh, it said, a new command I give you, to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. The two important things in there. The first is that they believed absolutely that Jesus loved them. And they believed that Jesus loves you. And they believed that Jesus loved them no matter what they had done in the past, uh, no matter what mistakes they had made, uh, any reason they could come up with of, here's why Jesus couldn't possibly love, love me. Uh, part of what we believe the wonder of the cross is, is that the cross shows us that you can do the worst thing possible to God. You can nail his son to the cross, and he will still forgive you. He still loves you. The second thing that it shows is just how extreme the, the discipleship, the following of Jesus, is that I want you to love other people, not as it's convenient for you, not as it makes sense, not as like, ah, that, that would be like some good ways to love other people, but I'm going to love other people in the same way that I saw Jesus love people. And that's the reason I'm going to go into that city and I'm going to help that person who's dying. That's why I'm going to forgive that person that I would way rather have a grudge against. That's why I'm going to give money away, even when it would be so much nicer to maybe keep it. It's because I want to love people, not just as I want to, but I want to love people as Jesus loved people. Uh, so uh, let's take uh, communion. If you have a cup, you can take the wafer out. Uh, and you can uh, drink uh, the juice. And I'm going to pray as you take communion today. Uh, Jesus, we love you. Thank you for coming to this earth. Not only just so that you could die, but so that you could live. And that through your life and then through your death and then I believe through your resurrection, you can show us that there is a way in which we can start living now that will go on for all, for all of eternity. And help us to choose that. And help us to walk in that way. To your name we pray. Amen. Uh, last thing uh, for the band. Uh, uh, close us out in some, uh, some songs. Uh, as we were getting ready uh, for this service, uh, we wanted as many people to come uh, as possible. Uh, as many as COVID regulations would let us uh, <laughs> have come. That's probably a better way to say it. 
Uh, so we took out a Facebook ad. We've done that uh, a couple different times. Uh, and when you take out a Facebook ad, if you've ever done that before, it'll ask you, uh, you know, what's the zone of people that you want to invite? Uh, and so uh, it showed me this little radius of like a three, four mile radius around Albany. Uh, and that's who it sent that Facebook invitation to. And maybe some of you, maybe that's why you're here is because of that Facebook invitation. And I've been thinking over the last couple days and weeks as we've been getting ready for this service, like what, what, what's my like real hope and prayer? If someone was to accept that invitation and come to this service, is it that I just want that person to believe that they, you know, like, ah, I was kind of on the fence. I wasn't quite sure about that whole Jesus stuff, but like, all right, yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah, there's Christians in, in Rome, I guess, you know, when Nero burnt the city down and people lived a crazy life and stuff. All right, yeah, fine. I, I guess I guess I'll believe. No, I do hope you believe. I hope you spend the time researching. I hope you, you look. I hope you do whatever you I hope someday you decide that you want to believe. But way more than that, I hope this changes your life. I hope this turns your world upside down. I hope that if you decide that you believe someday, maybe today, that it'll start to turn your, maybe your anxiety upside down, that it'll turn your finances and how you use those finances upside down, that it'll turn the way in which you treat the people in your home upside down. And then I hope it ricochets out and I hope it transforms the way that your whole street interacts with each other and the way in which they hand, I hope it ricochets out and it goes to your city and our city and it goes to our state and country. And that based off of what we are coming to believe, have believed, uh, will continue to believe, that it will absolutely turn our world upside down because we believe that there is a new king, that there's a new Caesar.